G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Put on the armor of God, the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, are you with me? Today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill, and in this episode, we continue to investigate the impact of the unseen world on our seen one. The Bible doesn't speak much about being possessed or oppressed by the devil. However, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we hear about the tools God has given us to live the abundant life in Him. In this deception series, we've had a number of messages with a similar thread. So let's hear this message from Pastor Jeff now to unpack more from this passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. Now, we're in a series, for those of you who are new or maybe you just came back from summer, we're in a series called Deception. And we've been using this phrase right here to govern what we've been talking about the entire series, and that is that the Bible clearly teaches there is an invisible world that greatly impacts the visible world, that there is a supernatural world. And until we learn to recognize that, then we'll continue to approach problems in our marriage, problems at work, problems in our community, problems with our neighbors. We'll continue to approach all of that with a singular focus or singular idea of what's happening. But evil is complex, it is a great strategy, and it is designed to bring destruction in every area of life. And so we've said that until we recognize that, it's gonna be difficult to have the victorious life that the Bible says that we are to have in Christ. Now I'm just finished reading for about the third or fourth time a book called The Sunflower by Simon Wiesenthal. This is a fabulous work, really wanna encourage you to read it, get a copy of it. But Simon Wiesenthal was a prisoner uh, in a concentration camp in Germany. He was escorted uh, to a hospital, a makeshift hospital, to the third floor where he was forced to sit by the bedside of a German soldier who was dying. Young man, 22, 23 years old. And he discovers through the course of the book, he discovers, or you discover that he discovers, that the reason he's been brought here is to hear the last confession of this German soldier who had committed so many atrocities at such a young age. Of course, Wiesenthal doesn't want to do it, but he's forced to stay there. And then comes the end. And by the way, this guy was confessing to Wiesenthal that they had gone into a village and rather than take all the women and children, Jewish women and children, put them on trains 
and export them to the concentration camps. They just figured it would be, or he figured it would be more convenient just to gather up all the women and children and put them into a three-story house. So you've got almost a thousand women and children in a three-story house. You imagine what that's like. And rather than take the time to transport them to the concentration camp, he bolts the door, pours gasoline around, and sets the house on fire, and everybody's burned alive. He recounts how there are women jumping out of the third story window with their children trying to save themselves, but they either die by the flames or by the fall. And so he's near death having been wounded in battle. And the purpose for which he has called Wiesenthal to his side is that Wiesenthal might forgive him for what he's done on behalf of all the Jewish people. Now the book asks the question whether or not he has the right to do that. 70 people were written to some of the most uh, wise, some of the most intelligent people, only three people told him he should have forgiven the soldier. Wiesenthal in the book does not forgive the soldier. And that's where the book goes. But what intrigues me other than that in this story is that after the war, Wiesenthal goes back to the soldier's house because he discovered where he lived. Wiesenthal makes it to the camp without dying, which is miraculous in and of itself. He speaks with the mother of the soldier, and the mother paints this wonderful picture of a little boy, a young man in high school, who is a choir boy, an altar boy, who is a firm believer in Christ, who is the model student, who is just a young man of great righteousness. And every time I read that, the question that comes to my mind and some of the other readers is how can you go from a young man who's an altar boy, choir boy, just a good, good young man to a mass murderer. Now, if you are a Christian, a long time ago, you gave up on the simplistic answer to that question that it's social or it's cultural or it's genetic. You know that some of all of that, but we a long time ago began to realize as Christ followers that evil is multidimensional and it is complex. Now, I start this way because I told you we were gonna get into the nitty gritty of this stuff and we are. So hold on tight for the next four weeks. But for right now, I wanna take you to a passage, just kinda of set the stage in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is speaking and he says, how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Now, you Bible scholars in the room, who's the strong man? The devil. So somebody is binding the strong man. Who's binding the strong man? Jesus. By his work on the cross, he is somehow binding the strong man, the devil, so that he can plunder his house. Remember the Bible says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So Jesus has come down into his territory, so to speak, and he's binding the strong man. Now, it doesn't mean that the devil's restricted. We know that. We know he's able to do a lot, but he can't just do anything he wants. He's restricted to some degree by Christ. Now, let me tell you, just in a short nutshell, how the Bible says he is restricted. It happens to do with this graph that we show here all the time where we say that we are separated from God because of our sin. And the only way that God can come near to us and us near to God is through the cross because only through the cross are our sins forgiven. And once our sins are forgiven, God sees us as practically, pragmatically pure so that a relationship now can happen between us and God. Now, the Bible says that we're not only forgiven of our sins, but a beautiful thing happens. Because God can come near and our sins are forgiven and relationship can take place, then the Spirit of God comes on the inside of us and God lives his life through us. 
Now, that means that we have all the resources necessary to defeat the evil one and live a successful life, the abundant life Jesus came to bring. But although we have the resources, it also means that we are still capable of giving the devil a foothold into our lives and thus bringing destruction. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now my question is, is anger a sin? No, it is emotion from God. As a matter of fact, the church oftentimes is angry when it shouldn't be and not angry when it should be. It's how you respond to the anger. And if you give the devil a foothold and do not forgive after anger, then there is bitterness, resentment, hate, and even murder. And that's how somebody who's raised in the church can turn into a murderer, a mass murderer. It's somewhere along the line you don't respond appropriately to the emotions that are God-given. If you give the devil a foothold in your life in any area of sin, just because you have the resources within you and the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome, if you give the devil a foothold, he puts his foot in the door and then he brings his friends with him. And at that point, you begin to live a defeated life. The reason we begin this way is when I start talking about the devil in these terms over the next few weeks, you always have a group of people that want me to talk about things like demonic oppression. They're into the sensationalism of this. Possession, obsession. Now, let me pause. All these things are real. I get that. Oppression is real. Haven't you ever had a time in your life when you just felt like there's just a burden over you? There's a presence around you, man. And it was just evil. And nothing was going your way and you just felt like no matter what you did, it was just there. In the Bible, in 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, the young preacher, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Some people, few people, no, but every person. And just to give you a practical application quickly, I, re I remember 16 years old, and I, can, I remember the day that I decided that I would stand up and be counted for Christ. It was at a basketball camp and all my fellow basketball players were in a dorm room looking at Playboy magazines. And I walked by the door and they say, Vines, come in here, man, you gotta see Miss September. You gotta see this. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm this is enough, enough of this. And I walked in, now, don't, I'm not saying look at what a wonderful person I am. I'm not telling you about all the times I failed. I'm telling you the time that I decided I was gonna take a stand. And I walked in there and I said, guys, this ain't right. This is just not right. This is not helpful. And this is gonna create things in us that is not going to be good for us. So knock it off. And they said, come on, man. Look, No, I'm not doing that. And that whole testimony that I gave them led to a Bible study with my fellow players and the salvation of one of the players. So it was a great, great time for me. Now, guess what? As beautiful as that day was, guess what happened after that? It was the worst year of my life. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this, right? After I took a stand, I began to have great difficulties with a teacher. And then the school bullies decided that I'd be the next target. I started to have great temptation with a young girl in high school and tension, great tension developed with my mom and my dad. My only point is here is that the more determined you get about living the godly life, the more oppressed you may become. It will come from the government. It could come from your relatives. It can come from those around you because if the devil can't get to you, he'll get to those people around you. And at times you're gonna feel like you've got the weight of the world on you and you are oppressed. But the reason I don't spend a lot of time on demon oppression is because the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time on it. 
It just gives you the same piece of advice. It tells you when it happens, and it will happen. Stay the course. Keep going strong and count yourself worthy that the devil thinks you're now a threat to his kingdom. As a matter of fact, one man has said, God made us to glorify him, and nothing glorifies him more than when we stand strong against temptation, evil, and persecution. And James says that he who endures or she that endures will in the end receive the crown of life. So I know that oppression is real. I know, but the response is always the same, stand strong. I know that possession is real. And I want you to hear me on this one. Possession is real. It is possible to be demon possessed. To deny that is to deny the scripture. It's to deny reality. If you do not have the protection of the spirit of God in you, Jesus makes it very clear. You're either for him or against him. You may think you're on neutral ground. You're just kidding yourself. That also comes from another place. That thought that you could be neutral comes from the evil one. Because you're either used of God for his purposes or you're used of the devil. And it is possible that sometimes if you're not protected by the spirit of God dwelling in you, it is possible for the devil then to possess you and use you for his purposes, which we saw in the very first sermon I delivered in this series concerning the king of Tyre that the prophet looks past the king to the real power behind the throne. And he says, I know you, you were in the Garden of Eden. Well, the king of Tyre wasn't in the Garden of Eden. Who was in the Garden of Eden? The serpent. I know who you are. And so there are times that possession can become a reality. The reason I don't spend a lot of time on oppression or uh, uh, the whole idea of being overwhelmed by the devil and taking over your life is because the Bible doesn't. The Bible chooses to spend its time in another category of telling you here's how you can live and you have all the resources available to you to do this so that you don't have to worry about oppression, so that you don't have to worry about possession. You live this way and it's the key to victory. It is true, and we've said it again, I'll say it one more time, maybe there is an invisible world that greatly impacts the visible world, and he wants to bring destruction into your life, but we're told how to win, and it starts right here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, when the Bible says, finally, put on the armor of God, or be strong, rather, in the Lord and his mighty power, put on the armor of God, the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, are you with me? I'm gonna need you to concentrate and stay right here with me because I'm just gonna download info on you like crazy this weekend. Notice, first of all, the Bible says it's God's armor. It's the armor of God. Now, this past week, I was going for a run and it was near dark, so I was a little bit more, you know, apprehensive at nighttime. And about a, a mile and a half into my run, this chihuahua comes running out of this house. And he, he, he's acting like he's going to rip me to shreds. And I turn around and saw this and I think, really? I mean, I'm six feet four, 200 pounds. There's not, your little jaw can't even get around my leg. Now go away, shoo. And the, the guy follows me for like two miles. I'm saying, go home, man. You're just starting to irritate me. And I wanted to come over here. Let me just kick you out. You know, and of course, I wouldn't do that as far as you know. But... <laughs> The point is, you think about how humorous this was to me. Well, as humorous as that is to me, just multiply that by infinity, and that's what the devil thinks when you come at him with your own armor. When you come at him with your own resources, it's a joke. If you try to deal in spiritual warfare with your own weapons, you're gonna be in big, big trouble. So first of all, it's God's armor, not yours. Second, that means it's supernatural armor. Now, for me, I have no ability to fix or repair anything. God did not give me hands to repair. 
And so you couple that with the reality that I don't have the tools to make a good repair because I wouldn't even know the tools to buy. When something goes wrong in our home and Robin says, can you repair this? Guess what happens? Just frustration because I go out there with, with no talent and no tools and I try to repair. The guy who has talent and tools, he can come and repair it in under a minute, but not me. Now, I love the 12 steps of recovery. I love Celebrate Recovery because the first thing they do is they say before we can win this victory, we gotta admit that we are powerless and we need a power greater than ourselves. And because of that, I just wanna reiterate that if you're gonna win a supernatural battle, you're gonna have to have supernatural tools. You cannot, you need something supernatural to deal with something supernatural. So first it's God's armor, second it's supernatural armor, and third, the armor must be put on before the battle begins. You can't wait till the army's 10 feet in front of you and say, excuse me, time out, while I go put something on that's a little bit more comfortable. It's too late, it's too late. The battle, the armor, the spiritual armor is inextricably tied to the believer. It's, they're inseparable, and you put that armor on 24-7 so that when the battle does come, you'll be ready for the victory. So here's the choice, according to the Bible. You either put on the armor of God, or you live a defeated life. Now, I know there's some of you in the room right now that you're still on your journey, and this is about the point where you say, oh my goodness, here we go again, the devil talk. Come on, 21st century. I just want to remind you, listen, if you don't believe in the devil, I've said this before, I'll say it again, it means you have the lowest view possible of humanity. Because you believe that we can concoct all this evil on our own without supernatural influence or impact. The Bible says that you either put on the armor or you're gonna live a defeated life. And I say to everyone in the room, I hope you get this, you do not luck into a happy, successful life. You do not luck into a happy, successful life. If you want a happy and successful life, you're gonna have to be intentional. And the Bible says that intentionality requires that you put on the armor of God. Okay, Jeff, I got that. But what is the armor of God? I'm glad you asked. Here's the first piece. The belt of truth, the Bible says. Now, I want you to look up here just for a moment. The belt of truth. First of all, I want to say if I had to wear that dress, I'd shoot my own self. <laughs> but back then they wore this. And he says, the first thing you got to do is put on the belt of truth. And the idea here is that when you wore these garments, and they were a lot larger than this, that they, you, you, you could be snagged or caught on anything because the, and ladies you, who, who wear dresses know that this is a reality. You know, if it's just free flowing, anything could snag you, catch you, grab you. And uh, you kind of want to have something to just bring all that and tuck it in. I, I think it was the... Uh, Philadelphia Eagles in 94 that were the first NFL team to have that sticky stuff on the inside of the jersey so the inside would stick to their body so that you couldn't grab a guy by the shirt and throw him down like you could on the junior high playground. That the uniforms were so tight and was stuck really to the, to the body that if you were going to tackle them, you'd have to grab a hold of them and then throw them down. Now the idea here, and the reason he starts with the belt of truth, is because when you wake up in the morning your mind immediately begins to go a thousand different directions of all the possibilities. And here's what Satan does. He infects the imagination. Now stay with me here. This is truth, man. He infects the imagination. Think about concern. Is concern a good thing? It really is. Adrenaline is good. Concern keeps you on your toes. It keeps you intentional. Keeps you ready. Keeps you aware. But when some when, when concern gets infected by a satanic injection, it then becomes fear and anxiety. 
And the devil plays a DVD in your mind over and over and over, and it's called a DVD of what if. What if I lose my job? What if I don't get promoted? What if I get sick? What if I get cancer? What if I fail the test? What if I don't get into that college? What if I don't get married? What if I do get married? What if I can't make the rent? What if he leaves me? What if she leaves me? What if the children rebel? And you get to the point where you can't sleep. You can't concentrate. And Satan keeps you defeated by keeping you distracted and debilitated. You with me? What about anger? We go back to that. Is anger a good thing? Yeah, anger is a good thing. It is an emotion from God. Especially when you're angry at injustice in the world. I get angry every week at injustice. Usually on the drive home. (laughs) Folks, listen to me. If you want to go slow, you go in the far right lane. Okay? Now, the closer you move to the carpool lane, the faster you need to go. So I have no trouble with you going slow. Just move over to the far right. And if you have two or more people in your car and you're in the carpool lane, I'm cool with you being in the carpool lane. It's your divine right to having two people. Okay, but that's not your permission to go slow because you have the lane to yourself because there will be two miles of traffic behind you. Let's go, get going. And one of the, thank you. And I think as the church of Jesus Christ, we have to fight that injustice in the name of Jesus. But when you think about real injustice, like women being treated as second-class citizens, when corruption creates poverty, when racism runs rampant, when a family member betrays you. Those are injustices. But here's what happens. When you get angry, then there is a satanic injection that tempts to infect your anger so that it becomes bitterness. And when it becomes bitterness, you're in a whole world of trouble. There was a friend I had in New Zealand that betrayed me. And I really felt like I was treated unjustly. But the problem is, rather than dealing with it appropriately, I gave the devil a foothold because I refused to forgive and it taught me a valuable lesson of what it can do to you. So I kept replaying, or the event at least, kept replaying in my mind what had been done to me in the shower, in the car, during happy moments. It would ruin my happy moments, during sad moments. I, I discovered later that although I did not realize it at the time, that there was about an 18th month period that my family never had my full attention because the devil was replaying this DVD over and over and over again. And every time I played it, I got hurt again. Bitterness, and it's a poison. Now, the question is, who do you think is pushing play on the DVD. It doesn't come from above. It comes from a satanic injection of something that produces anger that is okay, that evolves into bitterness that's destructive, that robs you of all joy. God has given us the tools to live the abundant life, tools that can protect us from evil's interference. Well, We're going to pause there for today and come back next time to look at the armour of God from Ephesians chapter 6. Join me then. Let me say to you once and for all, folks, your acceptance before God is not based on your past. It's based on Christ's past. And what He did in the past is die on the cross for your past, present, future sin. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au 
forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.